Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen." May God bless the reading of his word. You may now be seated. Thank you, Stephanie, for reading the passage, and Lauren for leading us in in worship. Um, How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Open up your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. I am excited about continuing in this series that I began a couple of weeks ago called One Week to Change the World where each Sunday leading up to Easter, I'm taking a day from the last week of Jesus' life. And it's interesting to think about the importance of that week because the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books of the New Testament, which are a telling of the story of the life of Jesus, including his birth, his public ministry, his death and resurrection, uh, they make up over uh, 25% of the writings of the gospel. So that last week of his life seemed to be quite important. And uh, so that's why we're talking about it. I'm really excited about it today. We're going to talk about what happened. Uh, one of the things that happened on Tuesday before uh, the weekend that Jesus was crucified on. Before I get into it, though, I want to say welcome to you, and uh, if you're a guest, we're especially excited that you're here. There's a couple of ways that you can communicate to us that you're here, if you want us to know that you're here. There's a communication card on your chair. Just pick it up, put your name on it, put that you're a guest, and then uh, one of our staff members will reach out to you and just greet you and and get to know you a bit and and answer any questions that you might have about who we are as a church. Uh, Also, if you are a guest or a regular and you want to communicate something to us, a a prayer request or a need that you have, or you just want to say something, or you've got a funny joke, just put it on that communication card, and we always read them in staff meeting, and I know that it'll it'll be good. So uh, we love love to hear from you. Um, I'm I'm really uh, wanting you all to be thinking about as we're leading in this series to the place that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday in just a few weeks, I'm really wanting you to think about who you're going to invite. I hope you're thinking about inviting somebody. Of course, every time that we gather as a church, be it on Sunday morning or in our midweek groups, but especially at the time of 
Easter, people are more likely to accept your invite. So I hope you'll be thinking about who you're going to invite. We're going to do some cool stuff. We're going to have a photo booth, uh, which is just an opportunity for us to take a picture of you in your your um, Easter clothes. And then also, we're going to do an Easter egg hunt for the kids, which is a good time. It's complete pandemonium, and uh, it's a good time, which we're okay with. All right. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to we're going to get into this passage, Matthew chapter 22. Before I pray, just bow your head if you would and just uh, just ask the Lord what is, whatever it is that you want this morning from Him. If you need some help, maybe you want to be encouraged today. Maybe you need to be moved today, respond, move to respond to something that he's impressed upon your heart. Maybe you're here and you do not yet believe. You're not yet a follower of Christ. You've not crossed over the line of faith. And maybe today you would have the courage to just say to God, God, give me what I need today to take that step of faith. God Almighty, I stand before you this morning, not depending upon the words that I will speak or my skill or lack of skill as an orator. God, what I depend upon this morning is your grace and your mercy to work through the words that I'll speak. As I attempt to explain the meaning of this passage, which is so important this morning. So God, what we want to do is to point out Jesus. And God, what I hope to do is to give people a better view, a more clear view on who Jesus is, because God, I believe that your word reveals Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. And God, through Jesus, we believe that we get access to you. And so, God, I pray that that would happen this morning. And I know that there are people here that are coming in uh, a little um, distracted. I pray, God, that you would arrest their hearts. There are those that are here that are doubting. God, I pray that you would just whisper into their ear that you've, you've dealt with doubters before. You've had doubters along the way. There are some that are here that are in need of some conviction. They're drifting far from you. And I pray, God, that you would, through your mercy, lead them to repentance. And God, we just love you and trust you. And I pray that this passage would be released like a roaring lion into all of our hearts for your good, for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an idea that you thought was a pretty good idea, but when you presented it, it was rejected by people? Have you ever had an idea like that? Maybe something that you're excited about. I asked my daughter on the way to church this morning. I said, baby, and she's 10 years old. I said, baby, I said, have you ever had an idea that you just knew was a great idea, but it was rejected and then you felt bad about it? And she's like, yeah. At school recently, they were doing a group project, 
Everybody was supposed to come up with ideas. She had what she thought was the best idea, which it probably was. And she presented it to the group, and the group said, that's a terrible idea. They rejected it. And so there she was, left with her rejected feelings. Maybe you've had an idea that you thought was a great idea, and you knew it would make a difference in your home or in your workplace or on your block or maybe in the city or in the world, maybe. uh, And you presented it, and it was rejected. It's happened before to some really great ideas. Um, I'm reminded of uh, the time that uh, the head of Bayer, you know, the medicine, Bayer, the head of Bayer's Pharmacological Institute rejected Felix Huffman's invention of aspirin. In a letter, he wrote these words, this product is worthless. This was, of course, a long time ago because since... Then it's grown quite popular, this, this idea of aspirin, this product of aspirin, and some say that somewhere around 10 billion tablets of aspirin are swallowed annually. How many of you took an aspirin this morning? All right, two of you. All right, cool. Maybe after this message, you'll need another one. But uh, yeah, so, so you're, you're a part of the statistics. Or, or how about this one? In uh, 1927, the idea was presented to H.M. Warner of Warner Brothers of a a movie with people who talk in it. And here's what he said. He says, who the hell wants to hear actors talk? So what he says, like quoting him, I mean, clearly that was an idea that was very good, that was rejected by the H.M. Warner, who eventually became Warner Brothers, that clearly he eventually accepted the idea, but initially said, I don't want that idea. I mean, who would want to watch a movie where actors talk? Well, all of us do. Or another idea that was rejected initially by Ken Olson, president and chairman and founder of Digital Equipment Corp. in 1977 said these words, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. I mean, that idea initially was rejected by a guy like Ken Olson, brilliant. I mean, he was the president of a large company, rejected initially, but clearly it was a very good idea. Not only do we have computers in our home, we have computers in our pocket. So these are ideas that were worthwhile, worthy of considering, but they were rejected based on uh, a variety of reasons, but over time they proved to be great ideas that would improve people's life. Well, the Bible tells a story of God's idea to establish what's called a kingdom, the kingdom of God, or referred to in the book of Matthew as the kingdom of heaven, same thing. And uh, this idea of God's to establish this new kingdom was rejected initially. And the people that rejected it are the very people that had every reason to embrace it and to accept it because it benefited them the greatest. And the story of the Old Testament was a story of Israel essentially rejecting God's way and God's plan to eventually establish his kingdom. So when God became flesh in the form of a man by the name of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus on earth, his very first message was, hey, repent, turn away from your way, your ideas, Because the kingdom of God is here. God has an idea. He's going to establish his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's an incredibly beautiful, complex idea talked about in the Bible. But it simply is that God is going to work in the world in a new way. 
He's going to establish his presence in the world in a new way, and it's made possible through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, during the last week of Jesus' life, he wants to bring some clarity to God's idea to establish this kingdom. And he does it by pointing out those people, many of whom are the religious leaders of the Jewish faith system, reject God's idea to establish his kingdom. And one way he does this, one technique for teaching is what's called a parable. Raise your hand if you ever heard the word parable. Yeah, a parable is an illustration or a story made up to teach a truth. So it is a story to teach something that is true. And, and, and Jesus teaches in these, and it's a common rhetorical device in the first century and, and some today, but we don't necessarily call them parables. Uh, and Jesus uses this in Ma- uh, Matthew chapter 22, and he uses it in such a way that it makes some people mad. In fact, uh, verse four, 15 says that the Pharisees, after hearing what we're about to talk about, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. So Jesus telling this parable enraged some people, which makes it kind of more exciting to think about, right? Oh, there's something going on here. It's not like people responded to it. So anyway, so here's the main idea, and I'm going to tell you what the parable is, okay? So the main idea for this morning is this. God invites all people, but only a few will come. That's the kind of thing you can remember, you can write down, whatever. God invites all people, but only a few will come. And then the pressing question is, will you be one of the people that will accept the invitation of God. Are you one of the people that accepts the invitation of God to come be a part of this kingdom? Okay, so here we are, Matthew chapter 22. Here's what it says. And so Jesus spoke to them in parables, the very first verse, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So again, he's explaining God's idea to establish the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So here's the parable. It begins with a story about a king who has a son. He's going to throw a wedding feast. Verse 3, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Who likes going to a good wedding feast? All right. Have you ever been to a wedding that you're like, man, what happens at a wedding feast? It's a celebration, right? It is a party. Some of you have had weddings where the reception was what people really went for, right? They go there and they eat and they drink and they dance and they celebrate. I mean, this is what we ought to have in mind when we think about when Jesus is explaining what the kingdom is like. It's this glorious, joy-filled event that, that he's beginning to talk about here. So there's going to be this wedding feast for his son. And so he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now, one thing I will say about this parable, which begin, we begin to see throughout Scripture, is that the way that God works as king is that typically he sends his servants to do the inviting. I mean, it's important for us. One thing that we have done as a church from the very beginning is that we care not only about the people that are a part of this church, but we care about the people that are outside of this church. And one reason that some of you are here is because you felt like, hey, this is a really friendly church. Because, and, one, and the reason for that is because we believe that new people are a big deal. In fact, one of our four stated values as a church is new relationships. So the way that God invites people into the kingdom, the way the king invites people into the kingdom is he sends out his servants, people that are already a part of the kingdom, to invite people. Important point leading up to Easter. Invite somebody. Okay, so the king serves to the inviting, but they would not come. So the story is there's a king, he has a 
wedding feast for a son. He's going to have one. So he sends the servants out, and the first group of people refuse to come. Now, the way in which this is written is actually quite emphatic when Jesus is saying, they would not come. And what we begin to see in the parable is that the group of servants that go out, the first group that reject the invite are uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. Israel rejected God's prophets in the Old Testament. When God sent people to speak on his behalf, telling Israel to repent and obey, they continued again and again and again to reject the prophets of God, like in this parable. So the story goes. So in verse 4, again, he sent other servants. So there's another group of servants, another time that he's going to send out. Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast, the parable goes on to say. And so this time, the king is, is trying to appeal to those that he is inviting to their natural sensibilities, right? A very practical sense, like, hey, you're hungry, right? Come to the party. You, you may not understand the deeper need that you have to be a part of this wedding feast, but you would understand your natural needs to be met. Your natural sensibilities can be met if you come here. There will be food. Your physical needs will be met. You don't have to prepare anything. All you have to do is come. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Now, this is interesting. So the king's servants go out. The first group just ignore them. The king sends a second group of servants out, and not only do they get ignored by some, but some of the people that are being invited uh, get so angered by the invitation that they end up killing the servants. I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like quite a serious reaction to the invitation, right? I mean, have you ever been invited to a wedding and been so annoyed by it that you killed the person inviting you? I mean, we would say like, whoa, this is kind of a big deal. There's more going on here. Well, this first group that ignores the invitation kind of passively, it says they went off to his farm and others' business. It reminds us in the story of uh, of the way in which God God sends people or, or sends sends people to invite us. And this happens quite often. Maybe some of you are here and you're, you're like, you know what? I hear the king inviting me, but what I have going on is, is just as good or better. So I'm not really interested in accepting that inv- invite into the kingdom of God. There are people all around us this morning that, that would say, hey, you know what? Uh, I know that God is inviting me. The, the gospel says that there's an invitation by God through Christ to be a part of his kingdom. But I think instead what I'll do is just go back to my normal Sunday fun day, and that's, that's kind of enough. That's a big deal. Well, and certainly there are others, and we don't see this as much in America, but there are others that are so offended by the invitation to this kingdom through Christ that they would get angered enough to murder somebody over it. And, and in, in this parable, we would think certainly of uh, like John the Baptist, who was murdered for his faith in Christ, or eventually we would think of Jesus. Jesus was treated harshly and murdered. And, and Jesus knows this is going to happen, and this is a part of his parable. It strikes us as an overreaction to being invited to this wedding feast, but it also uh, makes us believe that everybody will make a decision when they're invited by the king to the wedding feast. Everybody. 
I mean, all of you here today will make a decision whether or not you'll accept the invitation or reject the invitation. Everybody around us makes a decision whether or not they're going to accept the invitation or reject the invitation from God. And they may reject it passively, or some may reject it very vehemently, like like with anger. Like, I don't want that. I don't want your Jesus. I don't want your God. I don't want to change my life. And there's reasons for that, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Some will reject the invitation, and that's just part of it. And Jesus is saying that. Jesus is saying there's a group of people, Israel, who were given the prophets of God, they rejected them, and then they were given... Uh, other, other prophets, like guys like John the Baptist and the disciples who go among them and invite them to be a part of this kingdom. And not only did they reject them by ignoring them, but they rejected them, some of them by killing them. And, and this is interesting to me as we think about this idea of the kingdom of God. Because, so setting religion and the uh, intensity kind of polarizing reality of religious ideas. Setting that aside just for a second. The question I have as we think about this parable is why would anybody reject an invitation to this wedding feast? Why would anybody reject an invitation into the kingdom? In this kingdom that's described most clearly in the Gospels, the way things work are very different than the way the world, most of the world works. You see, in this kingdom that this king is inviting us into through Christ, the most powerful leaders are the ones who serve the most. That's radically different, right? In this kingdom of God, the people who typically are ignored, the marginalized, the poor, the outcast, the mistreated. They're the ones that get the most attention. In the kingdom of God, the person who works quietly behind the scenes is celebrated and honored. In the kingdom of God, the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. In the kingdom of God, the the people who are suffering are comforted. This is what it's like in the kingdom. So my question is, why would anybody reject an invitation into this kingdom? And most of the reason that people reject an invitation into the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done is not because they're rejecting the message, they're rejecting the way they see the servants living it out, right? Well, so the parable goes, the king has sent service, they've been ignored. He sends more servants Some of them have been ignored. Some of them have been murdered. The king is not happy. He wants to have a wedding feast. And here's the thing, there will be a celebration. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But there will be a celebration. God Almighty is not going to stop establishing his kingdom just because a group of people don't like the ideas or want to ignore the ideas. (laughs) And in the parable, it says the king was angry, verse 7. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Hello. And so apparently the king is quite serious about having this wedding feast for his son. And this is, in the parable, we believe, a foreshadowing to the time when Jerusalem, specifically the temple in Jerusalem, will be destroyed in 70 AD, which is about 40 years after this actual story. 
But what we must see in this parable is that rejecting the invitation will not be ignored. So you cannot get away with the, well, uh, that's your decision. You can accept or reject it. It's up to you, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing, and I'm going to get away with it and kind of find my own path. No, it doesn't work like that. According to this parable, the king is going to have a party. Everyone's invited, and the people that will reject the invitation, will, there will be consequences. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore the great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And, and here's the thing about rejecting the invitation. In this parable, the king sent out an invitation that's been rejected, and he's not going to ignore those who've rejected his invitation. Here's the thing about the, the, the reality of the decision that we're, we're faced with when we think about whether or not we'll accept the invitation to be a part of the kingdom is that life is quite short. Did y'all see in the news that uh, Chuck Berry, you know who Chuck Berry is? Yeah. The people that, that know, uh, he sang the song, Johnny Be Good, 90, 90 years old, he died. Yesterday, I think, or day before yesterday. This is what the New York Times said about him. He's Chuck Berry, who with his indelible guitar licks, I don't even know what that is. I'm not even that into music. I guess he can play the guitar. His brash self-confidence and memorable songs about cars, girls, and wild dance parties did as much as anyone to define rock and roll, rock and roll's potential and attitude in its early years. He died on Saturday. I guess that was yesterday. Uh, and every, every time I read a story about a celebrity dying, I'm, I'm like struck by this profound thought. Here it is. Everybody dies. Isn't that crazy? Write that down. I mean, that's really profound. Everybody dies. Even famous people die with lots of money. You and I, we're going to die. There'll be a day when we are no longer breathing. And you're kind of a big deal right now to those people that are around you. And your memories will last in the minds of those that are around you for a couple of generations. But your life is very short. And so when you are accepted by the king into his kingdom, it really presses us to respond. Will you accept or reject? And if you choose to reject the invitation of the king, the king takes that quite seriously. And you'll give an account for that. So the parable goes on in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. See, the party's going to happen. There will be a party, which I'm excited about. The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So here's what it means. We missed it here in the English. He's saying, go to the places in the major cities where the main roads cross, where all the people are. Go to that place. You know who's at that place? All different kinds of people. The rich people, the poor people, people of every different ethnic background, people that have lived fairly moral lives, and people that have lived really immoral lives. All of these kinds of people are in this place that he's now sending his servants to go. Go to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you find. Look at verse 10. I love this. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both the good and the bad. Here's the thing about the king. The king is inviting everyone. And sometimes when we think about what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, what we have in mind is it's kind of for those that are just good people. 
And what we know from this parable and we hear from the rest of the gospels in the entire Bible is that God is inviting all people, people from every ethnic background, men, women, children, people that are poor, people that are rich, people that have lived a pretty good life and obeyed most of the rules in their life, and then people that have come from really bad, gross, disgusting decisions. People from all different walks of life are invited by this king to this banquet. I love this. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And this is a beautiful picture of what it's like in the church. Because, you know, in this church, we have some amazing people, but some of you have some pretty surly kind of backgrounds, right? Can I get an amen? You're like, amen. Yeah, yeah. No, of course you. I do. We have former addicts, cheaters, adulterers. Liars, sinners, that's us. There's a group of people that rejected the invitation, and so God, or the king says, hey, we want to we have a, we are going to have a party. And there will be a marriage between my son, the groom, and his bride, the church. And everybody, good and bad, that accepts the invitation gets to be a part of the church he gets to be a, be a part of this wedding feast. Everyone is invited, man. And I don't know if you're here and you feel like you're too far from God or you're too bad for God, but I want to just speak these words over you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says, For I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. That's you and that's me. Everyone is invited. The king is going to have a party. There's going to be a marriage of his son, the groom, Jesus, and the bride, the church. Something else happens here at the party. It's quite interesting. Verse 11, the king comes in, the, the party hall is filled, and there was a man that was there that had no wedding garment. And everybody's welcome, but there's a man there that has no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his tenants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I mean, this is really a strange part of the story, right? If, if everyone is invited, good and bad, then why was this one person pointed out as not having a wedding garment? Well, we read in the book of Revelation verse 19, or chapter 19, verse uh, 8, that the wedding garment is the deeds of righteousness. And so there was somebody that tried to sneak into the wedding to look like they were accepting the invitation, but their lives did not bear the fruit that revealed that they were truly with the king. So they were thrown out. Our lives matter. And the the good works are not the cause of salvation, but they're the proof that we have been saved by grace. And God knows, the king knows. Everyone's invited, good and bad, but only those that are clothed in the fine linen that is the righteous deeds of the saints will be able to celebrate with King Jesus. It's by God's grace that we're brought in, but it's by our lives that we prove that we truly believe. There will be a celebration. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I look forward to the day. The book of Revelation is a foreshadowing 
of what's going to happen in the end. And next week, I'm actually going to handle another one of the teachings of Jesus that he gives on Tuesday. It is a foretelling of the end times. But let's get a sneak glimpse. Let's get a sneak peek of that. Revelation chapter 19. This is related. There's a prophecy about what's going to happen in the end that helps us to understand this wedding between the Son, King Jesus, and his bride, the church. Again, all are invited. All of you are invited. I'm invited. And all of us are faced whether or not we'll accept or reject the invitation. And for those that reject it, it will not be ignored. For those that accept it, they're welcome. You don't have to be cleaned up to be in there. But if you are truly accepting the invitation, your life will bear the fruit of righteousness, good deeds. But we read in Revelation chapter 19, this image that's given to the writer about what it's going to be like in the end. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Here's what he sees. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God. This is talking about the celebration that's going to happen in the end that we're all invited to. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself, which is what we're doing in this time. We're preparing ourselves. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. There will be a celebration. Everyone is invited. Now, whenever Jesus told this parable, he was calling out the religious leaders of Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, whenever they thought, hey, he's talking about us, we've rejected the prophets or the servants sent by God inviting into this kingdom that Jesus is trying to establish. And, uh, and so it's going to cost us. They got very angry with him. And their blood began to boil, and their anger began to spill over, and eventually they crucified him for things like this. But as we read this story 2,000 years later, and we look at the way Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, what it presses us to ask is, why would anybody reject this invitation to the kingdom? Here is one reason I think we do, people do is because accepting the invitation to God's kingdom acknowledges that you are not the king. This is for you, some of you, an obstacle in your crossing over the line of faith, is accepting the invitation from the king to be a part of his kingdom is going to require you to submit yourself to a different king, a king other than you. And that's hard. But until you accept the invitation for the king, you are an enemy of the king. And someday you'll stand before him and you'll give an account for all the times that you were invited, but you rejected, 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 rejected. And I plead with you, and I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit quickening your heart to respond in faith to this invitation from the king. It's made possible because of King Jesus. There will be a celebration. There will be a day when the groom, Jesus, 
is united with his bride, the church. And I want you to be a part of it. And God's going to fill that room with people. And he already is. God invites all people, but only a few will come. Will you be one of those? Let's pray on and think about these things. Maybe you've decided today that you want to accept the invitation from the king to be a part of this kingdom. If so, then what you could simply do is just tell God, God, I want to turn away from being king of my own life so that you can be the king of my life. I want to be a part of this celebration. See, what makes it all possible is the death of Jesus, which will happen just a few days after the story that we read today. When Jesus died on a cross, he paid the penalty for sin so that you can go from being an enemy of the king to a friend of the king. So that the king won't have to see you in your sin, but instead he can see you clothed with righteousness. Not your righteousness, but the righteousness earned by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Maybe today you feel in your heart like, yes, I want to take a step over that line of faith. I plead with you to do it. Still others of you are certainly going to be a part of that celebration. You've accepted the invitation from the king. The question for you is, who are you to be inviting We're distracted by so many other things. But there will be a celebration, and the thing that we must be about the most is inviting people to the party. They may reject you. They may get angry at you. Some will accept. Who is it? Who's in your life like that? So we're going to think about these things and we're going to sing a song and um, I want the song to minister to you and, and, um, and, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper.